From America's heartland in the Hoosier state of Indiana, this is Get In, the podcast focused on the unfolding stories and extraordinary innovations happening right now. On the show today is Kelly Jones, co-founder and general partner at 68 Capital. My passions are things like music or beauty or commerce or products. And, but how do I connect that back to helping entrepreneurs? Like, it's just interesting how that journey turned into this. Kelly Jones is the co-founder and general partner at 68 Capital, which is the first Indiana-based venture capital firm dedicated to investing in undercapitalized founders, including Black, Latinx, women, LGBTQ+, and disabled founders. She's also the founder and CEO of Be Nimble Foundation, a social enterprise with the goal of advancing diversity initiatives to create fully inclusive tech ecosystems. On today's show, you'll hear about how Kelly and her team are using capital, connections, and community to support scalable and investable tech and tech-enabled companies led by undercapitalized founders. Kelly, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for being <laughs> here. Just before the show, you were talking about some of the travel you've been doing. Tell us a little bit about where you've been lately. And yeah. obviously you can't divulge all details <laughs> of what companies you're investing in and what LPs are jumping into the fund. But yeah, yeah I'm, I feel like I'm always on the road. I think essentially since everything has gotten started back with people doing things in person again and moving away from things being virtual, it's just been a ton of travel. So I think Man, I've been home maybe a total of one full week, maybe once this quarter or on the past quarter. I've been to New York. I've been to San Francisco. I've been to Chicago. I've been to, where else? Mexico, which is my like work vacation place Ooh, to go that. there to work and yes. get deep. Where in Mexico? In Tulum. Ooh. Yeah, so Ooh. I spent a lot of time. I spent most of December, the latter half of December and most in a lot of January in Tulum. Sounds like you're doing it right. We just start strategy and thinking about what we want to do more of. And so I've been deep in that, but also like work stuff too. So last week was San Fran. Tomorrow I'll go to Cincinnati. Next week is Michigan. So when thinking about like strategic, you're planning out what you want to be working on. How do you find getting out of your daily routine, like going to places like Tulum, mm -hmm. wherever that might be, helps you focus on building the business versus working in the business. Yeah, it's actually a decision I made for myself last year. I don't do a great job at balance. And a lot of times I'm really hard on myself in that we do stuff, we try it, we keep going, we do something else. And I said I wanted to like pause, right? We have great stuff going on. Let's get really good at that. Let's like expand the team. Let's really like now we're doing like the next five years of strategy because we work in five year sprints. And so it was for me like quarterly, I'm going to go somewhere. I'm going to shut down the office after Thanksgiving and the entire team is going to be no, no. And we stuck to it. And it's because we work really hard. So we also deserve to have time off. But also that time can be for me. I'm never not going to work, but I need to be in places where I'm inspired to. And so I have to sometimes leave here in order to get like, all right, what are we doing next? What's 2024 look like? Right. And so, yeah, spending time in Mexico has had been that respite for me for the last couple of years. And, I, and this is the first time I spent an extended period of time there. I was just going to say five-year sprint. That seems like so counterintuitive, right? It's just a five-year sprint. Yeah. And the, the interesting thing is, I think the stuff that people see are things that we've talked about two and three years ago that we just put into a planning process. So a lot of things we actually hit sooner than we anticipated. Like we, like a fund was coming, but a fund wasn't coming for me for another few years. I, I didn't know I was going to move as fast and start in 2019. So it's things like that kind of just quicken the timeline. And so 
now it's okay. We knocked all those things off the list sooner than we anticipated. So what do we, where's we, where are we going next? And so that's been such a great journey. And I think that's come across on the Be Nimble side. Like we, we started with this really large fundraiser and we recently decided that was the last one we were going to do because we have new events that we want to do. Like goals have changed. The focus has shifted. So what are the new things we're going to bring? So I'm excited about this next era because I'm like, that was like, this next stuff is going to be great. So yes. Yeah, we're excited too. I'm eager to jump into some of that and some of the things that you have planned, but I thought it might be fun to take things way, way back to some of your earliest entrepreneurial memories. Were you always interested in entrepreneurship and innovation and technology? You know what's so funny? Yes, yes, and yes, but never actually explored it, I think, in the way I'm exploring it. Mm. I think for me, it was always like this very nascent thing that I didn't understand. I remember being younger, like I've always been pretty smart. My mom, although we didn't grow up like rich or anything, but like my mom always made sure that we were in programs and that we got to do things. And I remember I'm a Girls Inc. girl. I went to Girls Inc. Oh, from the so time cool. I was like 12 until I aged out. And so did my sisters. And I remember like the summer camps that we go to for science and tech. And I remember like learning how to play golf in 11, like really interesting things that I got to do. But I don't know if I ever thought about entrepreneurship that young. Yeah. I think what I thought about is I just know like I want to be in a position to make money and I know I'm smart enough to make money. And I don't know what that means. And I remember, interesting story, it was calling one of those like homework hotlines that were like, go to the Yes. like, what do you want to be? We could grow up. And I said, a taxi driver. And I said that because I was like, because they drive people and they get paid. Like in my mind, it was just like, this is commerce. Like I want to figure out how to do something where people hand me cash. <laughs> yep. Now that doesn't sound like the most fancy job, but that's how I was thinking about like me. Like when I remember that, it was funny. When I think back on it, it's interesting, right? Yeah. Like I'm thinking about how do I have something that is mine that I do, a service that I do where someone pays me for it. And in the end, they're in a better place. What does that mean? And I feel like that's been like my focus in life. So it's not been naturally just, I want to be an entrepreneur. It's just been, I'm a problem solver by design. And if I see a problem and I, I can't fix it in the current state, I got to figure out how to make it happen. And I think that's naturally turned into that. What I will say, though, is that I've always been a little bit of an overachiever. So <laughs> I'm the kid that like, hey, do a book report and me, I was doing like a poster board with yes. all sorts of things. So I think those are, are the things that I kind of nick on. Yeah, you've always just had this kind of big vision kind of thing. And Why do you think that is? I'm, you, I'm just innately curious. Like mm -hmm. I'm always asking questions and I'm always thinking about, but what if, but what if it's not like that? Or what if it went like this? Or what if we thought about it this way? And I think that curiosity is actually what keeps me going, but it also is what keeps me bored, <laughs> which means that I'm always like, I'll do what right. So I think it's just that big thinking, but were there, were there entrepreneurs <laughs> or anyone that you like looked up to in those early days? Maybe you weren't thinking about entrepreneurs, mm -hmm. people you aspired and that inspired you. Yeah. When I think about the people that I looked up to, funny enough, it was Dominique Dawes. She was like a USA gymnast and she was like a black girl killing it, like doing those reverses. I was yes. like, I want to be like, that's crazy. Like those are things I remember being really attracted to. And then I've always loved music. Like I've loved music since I don't, I don't mm. recall a time where music wasn't in my life. And so. What kind um, of music? Hip hop specifically. Yeah. yeah, but all, but like hip hop, R&B for sure. What's your like, top five? Oh, that's easy. It's Andre 3000, Jay-Z, oh, go back and forth. Kendrick is up there now, Drake. Ooh, yeah. And then I like to always throw in like a Ali. And for me, it's sometimes Fonte. Right now it's Fonte from Little Brother. Sometimes it's Nas. Sometimes it's Nas is in my Kendrick. top five. Yeah. As I get older, like it shifts because yeah. there's new artists that I love and respect and I grow with music. I enjoy the active listening of music. So I've always looked up to Wu-Tang Clan, like Method Man was always like 
my first crush really and then also <laughs> yeah. like, just like, a group, like I uh, love them but yeah what I love and I think why I gravitated towards it was especially like a Jay-Z right listening to him from the beginning of his career and watching every single thing he did like yeah. he is a entrepreneur with entrepreneur and I think that's what I've looked at he's a businessman yeah so it's so interesting how I ended up in this space because I think when my passions are things like music or beauty or commerce or products and but how do I connect that back to helping entrepreneurs? It's just interesting how that journey turned into this. Yeah. I love it. What was the, so fast forward to what was your first entrepreneurial endeavor? Like when did you just like make that first dollar, whatever that might be? I was always hustling. Yes. I think I was doing hair. I was doing hair in college. Mm -hmm. I was really good at doing hair. I was the roller set. I was the roller wrap queen. So wash people's hair, roll it up, put them under the dryer, iron them out, like. That I think that was probably the first time like I made money or I've done something making money. And then I think it was always just like I would get jobs and be entrepreneurial. I would always end up in these places where I was like on a team of six and we're all trying to figure out this thing from scratch. So those experiences were really great. But I think my first like where I'm like, dang, I might really be doing something is when I chose to move to New York. I started working in music and I launched my first company, which ended up being an experiential marketing company. And most of my clients were tech companies. And that was just by accident because I was working in music. Quick break from our normal programming. I have Erica Schweier, COO from Elevate Ventures here in the studio today. Erica, thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. And you're going to tell us a little bit about this Rally Innovation Conference that's coming up. Yep. So it's the largest cross-sector innovation conference in the world. We're going to feature six innovation studios. So think hard tech, software, sports tech, ag and food, healthcare, and entrepreneurship is going to kind of be our catch-all. I love that. So tell me what is, who's it for? Yeah, it's for innovators, entrepreneurs, investors. Honestly, anybody probably listening to this podcast. And it's going to be a multi-day thing that's multi -day. happening in downtown Indianapolis. Yep. People coming in from all over the country and maybe even all over the world to be here. That's our hope. Yep. And the dates are actually August 29th through the 31st. Perfect. And if people want to find out more information about speakers, tickets, things like that, where can they go? Yeah. So they just go to rallyinnovation.com and sign up for communications. And they can also get their tickets. I love it. You heard it here, rallyinnovation.com. We'll, we'll see, see you there. there. Kelly, can you talk to us about experiential marketing and what that is? Yeah. So I think what we see as experiential marketing now is like when you go to an event, like a brand activation or you go to a trade show and you like their trade show set up. It's what businesses use to sell directly to their end user or end consumer. I got started in that space working at a big music hip hop festival. I was over PR marketing and sales and sponsorships and so brought in like big brands and then came up with what they were going to do. At that time, experiential wasn't as experiential as we know it now. Like I think now people recognize, oh, it's activation or oh, this is a, this. But this <laughs> yeah. was during a time where sponsorships were literally just logos on a, pan <laughs> on a banner. And for me, I was like, I want to do something that's like really engaging because we're in like the early precipice of like social media and like blogs are the way that people are learning about music and like getting the news. And so how do we like create this, I'll take the offline and online experience and turn it into a real life experience and got to just do some really interesting projects. I think my favorite, well, my first real big one was like gutting a bus, turning it into a studio, and then all the artists that performed on the stage recorded a verse and we turned it into a mixtape that people uh, could walk away with from the concert of original songs. Um, so cool. And the brand was a music tech company that sold like product, like microphones, speakers, DJ software, all that kind of stuff. So we got to outfit the bus with the stuff and then created this kind of like really cool experience. And 
they loved it so much. That was my first like big contract. Like I brought it to that event, but they were like, we want to take this everywhere. And so that's what got me to do A3C. And then I started doing South by Southwest and Coachella. And then I started picking up new clients and working with like Red Bull and Monster and Airbnb and Lip. Like I was doing crazy stuff. And I was just like, what in the heck? But at the same time, these are all tech companies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then when you think about the music industry, I always tell people it is built on the tech industry, right? Like the way that you record it, the way it's consumed, the way it's mixed and mastered, the way it's released, everything is through tech of some sort. And even the way that we were getting the news of the music at that point was that too. And so I found myself in this really interesting intersection. I feel like that's been the theme of our work ever since is like, there's things that are technically enhanced. And I watch people like me um, and others like really innovate in this mm. space. But a lot of times they are not the founders or those are the times where we were, they were just starting to harp, have conversations around diversity and inclusion in tech. And we were learning about the lack of women and people of color. This is when companies first started putting out diversity reports and people were like, what is going on? We're 2013, maybe 14 when that yeah. started happening. Decade ago. And then it became, and I think when that hit, I was like, this is what I'm doing for the rest of my life. And mm -hmm. I ended up, and it's been the journey ever since. <laughs> <laughs> Can you talk Scared more about that moment, right? When you yeah. were like, hey, I'm, you're doing this, you're working with Airbnb, mm -hmm. with like all these cool experiential marketing. Mm -hmm. That just sounds amazing. Yeah. And then you like find this passion. That yeah, you it actually happened the same way. So I was working with Akai Newmark, which makes like beat machines. Yeah. And the brand ambassador was Young Guru. Young Guru is Jay-Z's DJ and engineer. So I just told you guys, like Jay-Z is one of my favorite artists. So in my mind, it's this is the guy that recorded all of Jay-Z's music. Like Jay-Z is my favorite entrepreneur. Like clearly this is a person that I, I can't, one, I can't believe he wants to work with me. He offered me a job. He said, I'm trying to stand up this brand. I think what people don't know about Guru is he's a tech guy. And so he wanted to really talk about engineering from a cultural perspective. So specifically, he's a music engineer. Yeah. People may not see that as like engineering. So how do you have conversations around engineering that are connected to things that people enjoy. And he called it Air of the Engineer. And it was focused on seeing people that look like us get interested in tech and engineering. And that's like, once that was like what he wanted me to do, I said, I found my, this is exactly that's where amazing. I want to be. And so we built a platform called Ear Sketch. It taught kids how to code using music production. It's still available. It's in partnership with Georgia Tech, oh, the National awesome. Science Foundation. We came up with some really cool tech ideas, tried to pitch them. <laughs> we started, we worked really closely with tech stars. They got the music accelerator going like yeah. back in 2014, 15. Like he was one of the first people to participate in that. Like really interesting thing, like things that I didn't even knew, know existed. At, like I didn't know what an accelerator was in right. 2014. Like those, they were still fairly new. Like now yeah. we hear them all the time. But They're everywhere. I'm like, there's a thing where you can like, have a startup, an idea, go to this place, they give you money and help you grow it. This is incredible. <laughs> yeah. And like learning, like starting to learn about what was happening in San Francisco and other places was just really interesting. And I was still in New York at the time, but then got an opportunity to move to LA and take a like a full-time job as director of sales and marketing for Hip Hop DX, which is a tech-backed media company, yeah. a VC-backed media company. And they recently got acquired by Warner. And so I got to grow and run their social media capabilities, all their sales, and a lot more of that same kind of experiential online, offline work. But at that point, I was working at a tech startup, one that was fully diverse, which is something that you didn't see. The entire team was of every race and creed and color, and I knew it could exist. And then later went on to Blavity, which I think people know from Afrotech and, and mm -hmm. all of their focus on tech. And that was like 
the place that I was supposed to. That was the drop for me. I was like, I'm going to be here forever. What were some of your early lessons breaking into tech? Yeah. When, when you first official, this is a tech company. Yeah. I don't think I realized it. You yeah. Know? It happened uh, organically. I, just, I think because every job I had up until this point, I was always this team five or six. So I didn't like, I'm like, going. I understand how startups were just from always being on this team where we all got to do everything. Right. And that just continued to be the case. Different types of companies, but same connection points. I think the transition to what I say is true, like working in tech was obviously when I moved to California and was working for an online media company, <laughs> standing up sales during a time where Instagram was just becoming popular. Mm -hmm. And People were weirded out by putting full stories on social because people were trying to get clickbacks to websites. That was that transition of social right. media owning the news versus an outlet owning the news. Yep. And so that was a really interesting time because that's when lives were coming out. And so I got to develop shows. Like, I'm really good at that stuff, but cool. that's actually not what I do anymore. And I think when I share, like, the stuff that I, I'd done before choosing to make this transition... People are genuinely surprised. That's <laughs> a lot. I'm not surprised. But it's directly informed every single thing I've done to this point. It's basically brought it all together for me. What makes a good show? That's a great question. A great personality, like a great like face, right? Yeah. The person, knowledgeable, draws people in, uh, has really Nate. great conversations. Oh, screwed. <laughs> honestly, no, honestly, that's a big one. And then having entertaining content, I think like all of it comes down to the content just being genuine and real and not feeling manufactured. Yeah. And because that's where we are, the era we're in now. Like at one point we were in an era where it was very highly produced. Yeah. It felt like newsy. And it's mm -hmm. no, we're back to like it being a little off or things not being perfect because I think people connect with people. So I think that's what I see now. But it's interesting to see the shift from what we see now as normal at one point was new. Yeah. And I think just in watching how that grows is really fun. Yeah, like that big push into like native content, yeah. like the rise of TikTok, right? Yeah, people were starting. That was a time where you could sell social. And it was weird to think that right. you could sell. Like I can sell a post. Yeah. That was that time. Like now we talk about selling posts every day. Like it's own industry now. It's called influencer culture. It's yeah. creator economy. Like yeah. now that is a job. It, at one point it was like, I can get paid just to post something because people like it a lot. <laughs> It's yeah. why it's what ad engines like Facebook, what Facebook have been born. That's an interesting, interesting time to be, to see that. So much opportunity. So from a Midwest kind of raised, been <laughs> mostly all of my life in Indiana, I'd love to hear your differences and like your thoughts on you're in California, but you're in, L mm -hmm. in the tech community in LA at that time versus the hub of San Francisco where this, these tech unicorns are growing. Or even New York. Yeah. yeah. But sometimes, like, from being from the Midwest, we think, like, California is California. Mm -hmm. It's this big tech ecosystem all out there when, I don't know, I just love to hear about how L.A. was at this time. Yeah, so L.A. at that time, so we're talking, for me, 2014, 15, 16. So, one, you're right, I was working in music and entertainment, so that was my surrounding. So, I wasn't, like, around, like, the tech folks. However... YouTube, Instagram, everybody has offices there. Like where I lived, Netflix was like the Netflix building was next to me. Nice. We were always working with people yeah. that worked at those places because they had their offices there because that's where the movies are made and that's where all the studios are. Snap they, was, was coming there. out about that time too, Yeah, right? Snap, Snap. Everyone has an office in LA. Yeah. I'll say that. So there's a, there is an ecosystem, but I think because it's so connected to the entertainment that's happening in LA, it just feels everything is together. It's an extension. Um, yeah, because... All those things are colliding with each other. Netflix is right here and they're producing movies, but they're also using this marketing agency that's a black-led marketing agency that's based here that does all of their rollouts. So 
that was the side of it. I you know, like, I feel like if you go to San Francisco, obviously you're going to see the like, all the coders are up there and all the people that are being code. But I think in LA, it was like the people that needed to be there because of the industry that was there. A lot less Patagonia vests, too. Yes. Yeah. yeah, it was a lot more like Jordans and not Alberts. Yeah, like yeah. not a lot of, but, no. but it's there too, though, yeah. right? Because yeah. at the time, like I was a member at Noya House in Soho House. So like those guys were there too, but they were also there with people that were presidents of like labels. Like they were there to sell business more than they were there like standing up a, an, another company. I would say that's probably happening a lot more now because people are just starting companies wherever they want to be. That's the difference. In New York, I would say, though, I probably saw more of because I spent a lot of time in Dumbo. And one of my friends worked at Huge, which when they started was a very small digital marketing company. Now one of the like largest, biggest sure, sure. in that space. And she was like early, early there at product management. And so I saw a lot of it more in New York being in Dumbo all the time. Everybody was tech. Yeah. So that was interesting. Um, Seems like being immersed at the like epicenter of culture both in New York and L.A., and not just meaning the city, but like the industry yes. itself. Yes. Probably gave you your 10,000 plus hours in just understanding trends, what's hot, what's going to be hot, how trends rise and fall. Absolutely. Anything that you use with your team that you've learned from those areas, just as you, I'm even thinking like checklists or mm -hmm. values or anything like that you learned? It's so funny you say that. I would say it's the cornerstone of everything that we've ever created. It's been in the and embedded into what Be Nimble is. Excuse me, it's been embedded into what 68 is. Like, I don't know if you can tell, like, the tone, the way we speak, regular, like, normal speak. It's yeah. not like, you need to understand the valuation of it. We don't do that because that's not who we're talking to. Like, we're talking to people that need to understand what this means. So there's always going to be this little bit of, of it's going to have a little attitude. It's going to have a little, it's going to feel cultural. It's going to feel inclusive. And I think that's what people like mm. about the content. So I think that is something that we definitely carried over. I'd say overall though, it fully informs my investment thesis. It fully informs how we've come up with the programs we've come up with. It fully informs how we've rolled out the things that we've rolled out with, the model that we've chosen to use. All of it's informed from the work and from the people that I was surrounded by mm -hmm. through those years of work, understanding how to run a startup, but also understanding how to raise money and also understanding how to actually solve a problem in the end and always focusing on the user first. I have gone by a quote for years from Richard Branson that the best ideas are the ideas that are always solving a problem. If it doesn't solve a problem, I don't go after it. And that's how we choose what we don't do. It's why we can choose to say, we're not doing that event anymore. <laughs> we're moving, like we've now shifted to this type of thing so how do we roll that out we can it, be nimble as a name yeah. on purpose yeah. like it means we can adapt we make change based on what the market says but most importantly what our people say so i think that informed response is actually a direct reflection of how i i matriculated through my career prior to coming back home do you have any advice for leaders that maybe don't work in the most nimble of industries or maybe their company isn't as quick to cut some things off and shift to other directions on how they can be like that catalyst for change within their organization. Yeah, honestly, I feel like this is something else that I think helped make feel real, right? I think a lot of times it feels like you can't go after and like just start something or you feel like, oh, it's like somebody else's or, oh, this is like this. I think the things that we managed to to do is find a niche that we knew we could actually work through. 
something that I don't think got into anybody else's lane, but that was an additive to whatever else was happening in the ecosystem and choosing to focus. I think focus is so important. I think a lot of times we want to do this and we want to do that and we don't want to do this. And if it doesn't end in this X being (laughs) the outcome, we try to figure out where else to put it. It's really easy to say no and yes to things. So I would say one is like just knowing like what your focus is. And if something comes to you that doesn't fit that, it's okay to say no. It's also okay to adapt to it if you think you want to make it your thing, but you have to go through your own process to do that. I love it. I love it. I do too. I, I'm curious to learn, you mentioned some of the programs that you've launched. Do you have any favorites mm-hmm. and do you have any stories from getting those programs off the ground? Yeah, I think there's an obvious shift and I don't think we spent a lot of time like talking about how those shifts have occurred for us. One, I shared like the entire precipice of Pete Nimble 68 is based and rooted in my experience in, in this intersection of commerce and culture and blackness and all of these things that like had me feeling like we we could do a lot more. I understand venture capital. I understand how it works. I understand how startups are funded. And we started with the traditional like tech company, which we still do. And but I what's in this is a prime example of what I mean about this problem solving thing. We would get all these applications. And then so we would have to do the first round of vetting in of a hundred, maybe only 30 actually apply like actually make sense. Move forward to the next. So it's for me, it's like, but the 70 is bothering me because are we not able to do something for them? Do we just leave them hanging? So one of the things that we pull on is industry. So we tell people to like choose what industry you're focused on. And so mm. I ran a query on the industries and just saw which ones were the top ones. And I said, there's a pattern and I think there's a need here. And so the ones that came out top were food, restaurant. Mm. The second was like products, e-commerce, things like that. And then the last was like music and sports. And so for me, it was like, okay, I know in food, there's a lot of ops opportunities to, to create venture backable sorts of businesses. Like how might we layer in helping a restaurant understand the tech enablement or the opportunity with building something that could be venture backable? How do we put those things together? And so that's the transition between traditional, just like tech companies, what we know, like B2B SaaS enterprise to tech companies that also have this overlap of industry that is specific to black and brown people. And so food is where we started. Melon was born of that. Ghost Kitchen model, help people build essentially restaurants that can be repeatable without having overhead space, license out the actual recipes and all of that. You make money. It's like you're franchising without any overhead, right? That's how these virtual brands work. That's why Cloud Kitchens and other things. Like I've been studying because I'm into food. Like I've been studying (laughs) What's happening with ghost kitchens for a long time? I've been studying delivery. I've been like, because I see it happening in front of me. So this is how we can scale restaurants. This is how we can make restaurants make sense for Black people if we can help them like shift the way that they're thinking about the business model. For those that aren't in the industry and haven't been following all the headlines, all of the research, all of the reports over the last couple of years, why is it important to have programs specifically for these undercapitalized groups and even specific funds for these undercapitalized groups? I think there's, I think there's two reasons, maybe three. I think one, I think like people. So I think one is just like being able to understand a specific problem. I always use Wale from Givelify as a great example of brilliant, like the most brilliant idea at the time, but it doesn't connect 
with a traditional investor if you don't understand the opportunity for having something that's not subscription-based, that's all transaction-based, to help churches have an electronic way to capture their tithes and offering. It doesn't make sense when you think about it unless you understand how the Black church works, Mm -hmm. which is always passing around envelopes and everything is paper and checks and no one's doing that anymore. They don't have ATMs. So how do you help industries that have been, I won't say behind, but just don't innovate as quickly, create new solutions to help them keep up? And I think if if that was pitched to me, I would have been like, this is the most brilliant thing ever. But I can only imagine when you pitch it and there's no one that really understands. It's harder to get it across the line. So that's that's one. I think the second is really around needing to to de-risk sometimes, right? That friends and family round that doesn't exist in in many black and brown communities. So having the way we've done our programs is, and even our pitches is like, they've always had money attached because we're going to give it to you regardless. We don't care what you do with it. We know you're probably going to use it for your business. That's the interesting thing is like, most of these people really do just want money for their businesses. Right. I think- We don't trust them with that. But I think that's like the capital part had to be there and the support had to be there because we can support and mentor. But if they're not getting the money they need to move forward, you know, that what's happening there. But if we're able to work early with companies, help get them de-risked, surround them with support, when they do go raise that first institutional round, they have something that actually is packaged up well. And unfortunately, there's not a lot of people that have done that look like us. So there's a need to share what that is and how that works. So I think a lot of times, I know when we first started this, like there was a lot of pushback. It was just like equity. You're talking about giving people giving up. When I'm talking to the Black community, VC is not something that they, not, I'm not saying everyone, but most people are like, VC, what is that? You take equity. I don't know how that works. We know loans, we know grants. And so you're also talking about a capital stack that people aren't familiar with. Mm-hmm. And I always say, VC doesn't work for everybody, but you should all know your options. We all should know our options. And so- this first like kind of two, three years of our work was just sharing what it was and me- how it makes sense and how it works and that you're not actually giving up 80% of your company most right. times. Like just the information getting out there, which is why, again, we speak like normal people because yeah. we have to demystify the thing that's a, in a, in don't understand. I don't know. I'm that's juggling, that's refreshing. That's the thing. No, I absolutely agree. Like, it's just, <laughs> and it feels like a lot of times VC make it more complex to make it seem like it's there's very a- gatekeeping. Yeah, yeah. Like, I just have to be like that. No, you know, I think I don't mean to keep going on, but I, I will say the last thing because I do have a third. I think is yeah. just like showing how it can apply in places that we don't think it applies. That's been my journey, or at least my emphasis. I would say the last couple of years. It's why. Melon made sense for me. It's why Add to Cart, which is probably going to be my favorite. I'm not even, I thought Melon was going to be my favorite program. I think it might be Add to Cart. Tell us about that program. Add to Cart is specifically for e-commerce businesses, ones that are looking to scale into retail. And so we do actual like monetary capital, but then there's also technical capital. So building their Shopify store, making sure they have all of the bells and whistles on the back end, making sure they have all the tools they need, data analytics, the whole thing, built a whole team around it, branding, total brand refresh, packaging. But the most important is supply chain and logistics. And so they all have, we print, we have a space because we have fully funded, thank God. But we have a space <laughs> where each of them have their own warehouse space and access to third-party logistics partners. And so in like a content studio so they can shoot photos, like the whole nine yards. Amazing. And yeah. that for me, I think is going to be the most transformational because of our focus on kind of this beauty, health, wellness space. 
and the number of women that are building these businesses that are turning into billion-dollar businesses. On 68 Capital, our first investment into a beauty company is a company called We The People, Black-owned body care line. She's been selling direct-to-consumer. She's going into Sephora next month. Wow. 260 stores. 100% online. That sounds awesome. She'll be in town in June. So I'll make sure. Like all of my founders are coming to town, hopefully. Love it. Love it. But like, yeah, brilliant. Excess Day Lauder started a company and now is in stores. And so the, the, and we have a few companies like that in our portfolio, but the thing that they all had the same issues with was logistics partners, brokers to go between them and Target or them and Walmart or them and wherever they're being sold. And then their 3PL partner. And so that informed what the offering would be. And I think where we are now with our programs is like, for me, we're solving problems that are on the further end of the growth spectrum. Because I think there's a lot of support at the early, but as they start to grow, what's next? And so I think that's the direction that we're going. And also just providing something that actually is helpful that you can walk away <laughs> from. Like with Melon, the kitchen space is like game changing. Burgeezy has been voted the best burger, vegan burger company in the state yeah. two years in a row. Like yeah, they're about to move into their own space. That's what we deserve to have. Fast so. forward five years at the end of your five-year sprint. <laughs> what do you think will be different about the tech industry that you're really excited about? There's things I'm actually excited about now. Okay. I think speaking to Indiana, like, it's just so refreshing that, like, this conversation I can have so much more, like, freely. Like, I, it, for a while, I was like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Everyone's like, what are you doing? Why is this so for? Like, why are you doing this and this? Like, how do these things connect? And I think people see how they connect, and I think people see the importance. So I think that shift happening has been so exciting to see because it feels, okay, maybe we are on the right track. Maybe we are doing the right things. What I'm most excited about or what I want to see is they're not being aligned between like tech and entrepreneurship, but just like entrepreneurship and then like how to make sure the entrepreneurship goes well. Like it's really <laughs> actually one like thing, right? Rather you're the, I always say, and I've said this for, man, for years, Murdoch, I don't know if he always talks about how I say, I don't see tech as like an industry. I see it as a business model. Like I feel like tech sits on top of whatever it is that you're thinking about, like tech or innovation or whatever you want to call it. It's on top of whatever idea you have. It's the difference between do you open a barbershop or do you figure out a platform that barbers can use to make transactions quicker? Like, I yeah. think it's just redefining how you think about what a business is. Yeah. Like, people use the term tech enabled company. Yeah. And find me a company that's not tech enabled. I, I, mean, right. I don't know one that's not. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm tech enabled. My whole body is tech enabled. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that merging of that, all of that, like, not being so separate. I think is what I'm most excited about because I think then we're really going to be able to see how capital can work in so many different ways. Should we so. do the lightning round? I have one one story that I want to hear, okay. Kelly. So you raised your fund and talk to me about the first check you wrote and talk to me about that experience of one, you're now a VC and two, yeah. you just help fund a business. Man, that's, this story is going to sound so like it was manufactured. <laughs> Good. I love it. Perfect. My, my first check was in Qualify. And, and if Qualify, Darian... He's been on the show. I've known Darian and Qualify and Devin since Darian was still working at the... I was still at Givelify, if that's any oh, indication. Wow. Yeah. I was still at Givelify. Yeah, yeah. I remember the first time we met, I was still at Givelify. He was still at the tech company he was at. He rolled over. I think we met at a taco place. He rolled over on his like skateboard, motorized skateboard thing. Uh -huh. And that was the first time we met. 
And and so obviously, like he's been in our pitch competitions. He's won our pitch competitions. Like we, I think I tried to qualify for the first, like part, one of the first people to try when I was still at Givelify and then took it to Techstars 2 and tried it out. And so to see, <laughs> now we've written three checks into Darian. Are we on check three? Maybe it's three. Yeah, it's three. We've done three checks now. Um, but he was my first. And to have, there's a company that I've known from the beginning, known him when we didn't have anything, to like seeing where he's gone now. He's three, four years in. He's about to raise a Series A. He's getting every customer as all the hospitals as a customer. Like he's, he and his team are killing. The team is growing. I'm so proud of him. But the, that's my first check is I think the story, it's the meaning behind our work, right? Be Nimble was like the engine, the thing, like we're trying, we need to do more. 68 comes apart. And then the first thing that we do is write our first check into the first company we wrote, a pretty significant. So I actually have a follow-up question, which is how did you get the money to write that first check? How do you raise a fund? Oh my gosh. (laughs) No one's ever, people have asked me that like when they want to learn, learn about VC, but no one's ever asked me that in this kind of in a podcast i don't know i still I feel like it's still a blur like i still have ptsd from most of it we're oh. hustling i yeah. remember yeah yeah it took me a long time so the funny story is that so i had started soft selling like in 2019 i was still at Techstars, and wayne patrick was like the first person who was like i'm down wayne's amazing i call him a fairy godfather like he he used to sponsor <laughs> all of the pizzas at our pitch events when I was in my early 20s making poor fellow salary. Yeah, he's amazing. And he, like always behind the scenes too, which is amazing. He was the first person that just said, I think you can do it. I'm down. And I was like, he That's saw my so first great. decks and my deck, my first decks were terrible. <laughs> I'm great at decks, but though, like building that kind of deck was terrible. Sure. So the blessing though was like, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it. Paul, who was at Allos at the time, calls me. He's like, I think we're gonna, so also backtrack, Paul and I tried to do a fun together before we Paul's went to like name is Ellinger. Ellinger so he used to be at Allos and, mm-hmm. and now he was at 68 now he's got his own company Flamel so we had tried this before we didn't get the grant it was like a federal grant we didn't get it's like oh mm-hmm. and he's at Allos I'm like still at Techstars trying to figure out what I'm gonna do and he's like are you still thinking about doing this fun I'm like yeah I got like a couple of people that are interested I think Aaron would do something like next level fun whatever you want to call it I was like I think he would like I know I'm gonna have to sell it like I have to get it right but I feel like we could get it done. And he's like, I think Alice wants to start something. He's like, but I think since you're already working on something, like maybe we can just collaborate. Alice, I feel I call it, I call them my accelerator. Like they supported, they allowed me to like be able to raise full time. Like I got to do like project work for them while like secretly raising this fund. And they helped me with the words and like, these are the things you need to use and being able to utilize like their CFO to do our fund admin was like very important. But the act of raising was still something I had to do on my own. I had to sell it. And so my background is sales and marketing. I know how to do that. But like selling to people for them to trust you with their money to put into other people is a totally different kind of sell. Sure. And so the practice is in just repeating. that. I have 27 versions of the deck. Like I've been through every iteration and it was I think it came down to passion, know-how, even though like I'd not invested like i'm very transparent i've never invested before i've only worked at accelerators but i know how to pick companies because i pick companies for accelerators like i could tie that back and i think they believed me and then they said yes and then a few people said yes and i was like wait i think this might be happening like it was a it was this click this moment where i was like i might actually do this and like i was only thinking like a million maybe two and 
Then it was like five. And then I was like, maybe I'll do 10. Then it was like, I'm going to do 20. Let's just see what happens. I didn't get to 20. That's okay. I'm settled. Got to 15. That's amazing. I think 15 is still good. Yeah. I'd stopped. I said, I can't really, I don't want to raise anymore. I'm tired of raising. (laughs) So I stopped. But then I like ended up with some really great partners too. I'm like part of the next chapter of things is like talking about the process of starting a fund. Like yeah. I'm still not through with it. Like I'm still doing, I'm like, I'm everything I'm doing right now is for the first time. It's kind of being a founder. You're yeah. always raising. I'm really good at founder stuff though. Yeah. Like I'm really good at just like, all right, we got to get, get, get it done, get it done. And now I feel like we're in this place where we're mostly deployed. We're probably about 60, 70% deployed at this point. Most of our mm-hmm. deploying now is going to be follow on. Every one of our companies are following on, which is a good thing. Awesome. Now I'm like coasting and thinking about like, how do we bring more value to the portfolio? What other things can we be doing? Like, how do we act on other strategies? Like, how do we start prepping ourselves for what a fun two looks like? Those are like the spaces I'm in now. But also like, how do we bring these things closer together? Like, I feel like sometimes be nimble and succeed feel very separate. And I want them to be because I think they lean on each other. How do we bring those things together even more? How much do we do do more? So much to think through. Kelly, I'm going to ask you to brag about yourself for a little bit here. Yes, please. (laughs) What do you think that, Three, five reasons that you convinced people to, to fund 15, a $15 million fund. And I know the model, all this, but I think a lot of it has to do with you, right? So tell me what those qualities that you find in like, that makes you the person to lead this chart forward. My employee, this is, man, I wish my employees were here in this moment. We did a very similar exercise at our retreat where we had to talk about ourselves or what we thought we were good at. So I'll say a few things. So one, I think there's people that are really good at seeing the big picture and there's people that are really good at seeing all the details i see both and so i think that's actually the strongest component i can i don't necessarily want to do the task stuff but i can construct the whole Mm -hmm. i can say this is what we're gonna do all parts of the machine this is how we're gonna get there Mm -hmm. i am trying to pull away so this is i'm in the i think we're always in the process of becoming better leaders for me it's always delegating and then hiring people that are smarter than me to do other things. Cause I'm in a place where I'm just like, I really want to focus on stuff. stuff. And so I think that was like the, that's the biggest part. Cause I, at the end of the day, I could probably get it all done by myself. I may not sleep, but I can probably knock it all out if I needed to. But then I also understood how to put plug people in where they need to plug. I think the other is actually seeing the whole, I call it, I, and when I talk to founders, I call it the moat, right? It's the competitive advantage. It's, What is the thing that you do that no one else can do, even if you guys were both doing the same thing? I identify that in every single thing that we do. That's my co-founder, Jeff, and I naturally do that. And I don't know, maybe it's because we're family. I don't know. But we, I see everything in this, but this is missing, this is missing. And I want to focus on that because that is where the need is. So I think that's been the most important. I think the third is, I, I steal this from Jeff, it's translation. It's like knowing how to talk about things in a way that people understand that make it make sense and don't make them feel like you're talking over them or talking above them. That's a thing. I think when it comes to the fund, though, I think it was the track record of work that we had up until that point, the kind of companies that we had the opportunity to be close to, the deal flow that we had access to, the relationships we had, just because of my experience being all over the place. Like, we knew a lot of people. (laughs) And honestly, like, it's going to probably be passion. Like, I actually love this. This is I don't, it's frustrating as, and I'm a cuss as hell. It's frustrating. It's lonely. I've not had great days. I've had amazing days, but I love, I really do love this and I'll do it every day 
and I'll try to win at it every day. And I think people could see that even, and often I don't always feel like I'm doing the best job because we're, we've been limited and now we're in a place where we can grow, but like we've been very constrained. We've been running a nonprofit part-time like it's a full-time right. organization and no one has even noticed that part we've all had we all have full-time jobs i don't know anybody else is gonna go get it yes that's great heck yes i'm gonna get it it's a good mic drop I'm moment i'm gonna get you i told we like i don't know i maybe just have uh, jeff and i have these like pep up talks like we go, we're gonna get it regardless yes i love that, I love that. Okay, do you have two minutes left? I do. Let's the, keep going. For the this lightning round. Yeah. yeah. Here we go. Lightning <laughs> round. So, quick, first thing comes to your mind, just let it all rip. Right. All right. So, outside of the amazing entrepreneurial ecosystem, what is Indiana known for? Michael Jackson. Yes. <laughs> I, that's the first answer. time. First time that for that one. Okay. What is a hidden gem in Indiana? Naptown Thrift. Oh, Oh, I have yeah. not been. I, I don't, I'm not familiar. I guess we know where we're going oh, yeah. Friday afternoon. Heck yeah. Okay. And final question for you. Who is someone that we need to keep on our radar? Someone who is doing big things. Aaron Murdoch. Tell what us, what is Aaron doing? Aaron. Aaron Murdoch. Same as Murdoch. Okay. I'm always going to give it to young people. Seven House, for sure. They do art shows. They've partnered with us to do party way I think now for three or four years like the Gen Z the young kids are like they got stuff bubbling that no one's paying attention to that we need to pay attention to I love it, that they were not on our radar so not we, on my radar we should make that happen yeah. boom yeah I love it Kelly this was an amazing conversation thank you guys this is so great so create much. connect to collab I'm gonna keep throwing names out there <laughs> and I, I will say final thing we got to say is if people want to get plugged in with 68 or be nimble what do they do so I'm Kelly Nicole on everything. So Kelly with an I, Nicole with a K, if you want to connect with me directly. Our emails are on our website, so you can always just go straight to the website. It's 68.capitalbnimbleco.com. We're active on social. We're active on LinkedIn. We're really not hard to find. Boom. Come see us. Link it up in the show notes. Yeah. I love it. Kelly, thanks for everything that you do for this ecosystem, both locally and nationally, globally. It's amazing what you're doing. I really appreciate it. You, you and being a part of this community. I'm glad to be here. This has been Get In, a Powder Cake production in partnership with Elevate Ventures. And we want to hear from you. If you have suggestions for our guest or segment, reach out to Matt or Nate on LinkedIn or on email. To discover top tier tech companies outside of Silicon Valley in hubs like Indiana, check out our newsletter at powdercake.com slash newsletter. And to apply for membership to the Powder Keg Executive Community, check out powderkeg.com slash premium. We'll catch you next time and next week as we continue to help the world get in. Since you just listened to this podcast, you might be thinking about starting one for your company. Lucky for you, our partners over at Casted have you covered. Casted is the first and only podcast and video marketing platform made specifically for B2B brands. I love this about them. The platform makes it possible to publish, syndicate, amplify, and measure the value of your podcast and video content. In fact, we use it for our podcast here at Powder Keg. And if you're a startup, you should listen up because Casted for Startups is definitely for you. They are offering exclusive deep discounts of up to 82% off retail price for qualifying startups. Connect with Casted at casted.us slash powderkeg.